to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Masonian Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you've joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Masoni at the Food Innovation Center in Portland. Sarah Masoni, I am so glad to have you back. I uh, recorded a couple of shows without you. And I have to say, it's way more fun when you're here. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> of course. And I also want to publicly thank you for coming over and helping me with some um, costing forecasting I was doing. You're always in my corner and I appreciate you. So I just wanted to say thanks to you in front of everybody. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you for the birthday card. Oh, you're welcome. And when Sarah came, that. came over to my house, my um, kitchen helper was downstairs doing dishes. And oh, I thought I was going to die. Fortunately, if, if people are listening that have worked with spicy peppers, you know that you get really used to it. I'm Not used just to spicy it. peppers. What were you doing? <laughs> Habaneros or something? Go, we were we we're washing dishes from making a ghost chili sauce. So um, Damn hot. the air gets very spicy, almost like mace. But if you Choking. work around it a lot, you don't notice. So I don't notice. And Sarah... <laughs> I was giving her cough drops and water. Yeah, she jumps up. She comes back with a cough drop. I'm like, is that going to help? She goes, oh, yeah, it'll help. I'm like, oh, I was still coughing. I I was definitely still coughing. I just have you in training for war, I guess. I don't know. That's true. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Well, thank you for braving my spicy kitchen and helping me with what I needed help with. Always, always. (laughs) So do you have any news, Sarah? I have a little bit of news I could share. I don't think I have any news yet. You have no news. I know. (laughs) You're busy with farmer's markets. That's your news. Yeah, that's my news. Farmer's market time. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that the USD awarded a humongous grant to a new um, regional food business center that's connecting, strengthening, and scaling Food supply chains in Northwest and Rocky Mountain region includes five states, actually six, six states, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, and Wyoming. And it is supporting animal protein supply chain. It's assisting food entrepreneurs in entering local and regional and national markets, expanding and diversifying markets for climate resilient agricultural products, and it's supporting right size and appropriately targeted investment in food and value chain infrastructure. And this all came out of COVID. Do you remember when the food on the grocery store shelves seemed to be missing? Yeah, totally. 
Everybody figured out it'd be great if we had more robust regional supply systems. Nice. I'm into so that. Colorado State and Oregon State are co-leading the Northwest and Rocky Mountain Region Food Business Center. And it's going to be starting up here pretty quick in July. So you should go on the website. It's Northwest NW Rocky Mountain Regional Food Business.com and sign up for the newsletter. And then if you're not in our region, there are 12 regions across the U.S. Um, so I'll tell you what they are. There's the Appalachia USDA. There's the Delta, which is down in the Southeast Mississippi Delta Council for Farm Worker Opportunities is leading that group. And the Appalachia group, it's uh, Rural Action Incorporated. There's uh, Rio Grande Colonias USDA Regional um, Business Center that's being led by Texas A&M. There's the Great Lakes Midwest, um, headed up by Michigan State. There's the Heartland, which is University of Nebraska. There's the islands and remote areas. And the Hawaii Good Food Alliance is handling that one. There's a North Central Regional Center, and that's by the Region 5 Development Commission. There's the Northeast which is headed up by the NASDA group. And then there's the Northwest, which I already talked about. That's our group. And then there's mm -hmm. Southeast, Southwest, and there's a National Intertribal Food Business Center group as well. And wow. each of those groups, I'm guessing, have about $30 million. The original um, grant was $400 million. And then a second set of awards is coming out to the state departments of agriculture. Probably each state will get, I don't know, anywhere from five to eight million to disperse out. The thing is, it's all supposed to happen over five years. So it's in the way I think it's really supporting the work that a lot of us and my type of work are already doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's going to make everybody just a little bit stronger. I love that. So people um, that are listening that are either local or not, there there should be a grant for you in your area. So you could look up USDA regional food and, and yeah, find, yeah. find just more Google that. Yeah. Awesome. USDA regional food business centers. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Right. It's a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for that um, info for all of our food buds out there, Sarah. Yeah. You didn't hear it from me. <laughs> <laughs> Just go straight to the source. It'll be better. <laughs> go to the source. Uh, we want to thank our sponsor for supporting Minsoni and Marshall. Thank you for helping to spread the word about women entrepreneurs. Let's hear a word from our sponsor, Market of Choice. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local entrepreneurs, so much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help local makers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Market of Choice. And we are joined in the studio today by Sina Wheeler. Sina is the owner of Sina Sea, a fifth-generation family fishery providing premium fish from their boats to your door. Welcome, Sina. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We're um, super glad that you joined us today. We want to connect our listeners to you. So how can mm -hmm. they find you on uh, social media and internet? 
Um, they can go to our website, cenasea.com. Uh, we're also pretty active on Instagram, um, cenasea underscore seafoods. And I think that Facebook is something very similar like cenaseafoods. <laughs> <laughs> so <Perfect>. you know <laughs> they're all very close <laughs> and we'll we'll link you through our instagram too so people can easily just click on it and find you perfect uh well we like to kind of start at the beginning with our guests and um i guess for you that goes back quite a few generations so do you want to start <laughs> yeah tell us yeah for me it's like okay how Your far back grandpa. should we go <laughs> From Valderoy, Norway? Yes. My grandpa immigrated from Norway and he he has he learned to fish from his dad in Norway, who and I saw one of the his obituary was that he learned to fish from his dad in Norway. Oh. Um and my parents joke that it goes back another 300 generations. So um, which is pretty fun. But my my grandpa immigrated to Ballard, Washington, which is kind of a hotbed for um Norwegian immigrants and him and his brothers. And they each, every time a brother came over, they got another boat and that's what they did. And that's what a lot of people did. They, their house, you could see the locks and it was fishing was a, definitely a, a way of life and a lifestyle for them. And they fished all the way from, um, they fished up in Alaska. Some people are surprised. We live in Washington. We fish Alaska. And that's actually, it's a lot of Seattle people that fish Alaska. And they actually fished all the way down to Mexico sometimes from the boat logs, um, which is really, really wild. They, they were, they fished a lot, but my, uh, my dad is a son-in-law. And so he married my mom and ended up, he went fishing once, said he'd never do it again. And, um, Ended up running a fishing boat the rest of his life <laughs> or for 30 plus years, I should say, until he retired. And then um, same thing. My husband married in, gave it a shot and uh, he's still doing it. So that's, that's so cool. What a great story. And um, you continue the family legacy. <laughs> yes. And actually, I like to say, too, that, you know, we have a generation of fishing wives. So like my husband and my dad, they actually married into the family. And so what's kind of like um, by blood is my mom was a fishing wife. My grandma was a fishing wife and so on. And so like I like to think about that, especially there's extra challenges when you're raising a family and your husband is out fishing and doing all of that. So it's kind of, um, I draw some strengths from that too. And people are surprised sometimes when I, when we first built our website, I did the about us page about our family history and stuff like that. And the, our website designer, um, changed every, like changed it to my husband's family. Oh, like I miss, like I mistyped. <laughs> I thought, uh, no, actually, I got that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny and and sort of unusual, I would say, probably. Yeah, I think it's, you have a lot to be proud of. Yes, for sure. Um, well, so I was wondering when um, I saw that you are, are so you're not actually based in Alaska. You're based in Washington, but you fish in Alaska. Right. So what is that journey like for your husband and, and people taking the boats out? Good well, um, 
back when my dad uh, and my grandpa, they long lined. So don't let me go too deep in the fishing because I know I'm going to like go. Woo. That's really interesting. Actually, yeah, I was yeah. just in a meeting all day with fishing people. So they were talking about trawl fishing and long line and all that stuff. Right. I think people actually want to know what that means. Yeah. And so, I have no idea. So please explain it. <laughs> tell us more. Okay. Well, we do salmon fishing too. Salmon is smaller boats because you're fishing basically at the mouth of the river where the, where the river meets the ocean. And so salmon is always done on smaller boats, but a long liner is typically um, fishing for halibut and black cod. And um, they also get a little bit of rockfish and it's bottom fish. It's called a long line because they put a line, it's one long line <laughs> and they drop it down to the bottom of the ocean, to the ocean floor. And then it goes just along the bottom of the ocean floor for a mile or more. And every about three feet is a called a ganyard. It's a, a small line with a hook on it. And so they put, so it's just a long line with hooks that goes on the bottom of the ocean. And, and it's about, um, there's usually a crew of about five guys on a long liner. So it's people always, they ask, okay, well, what's it like compared to deadliest catch? Cause that's all they've seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's not, it's um, a little bit smaller than the deadliest catch boats, but the crew size is about the same. Um, they have uh, hydraulics to bring in the long line, but they don't have those big, um, you know, um, now I'm just blanking on what they're called. Cage thingies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the crab pots. That's what oh, I'm okay, trying to say. Okay. Okay. Crab um, pots. And the big thing is crabbing is done in the winter. And that's one reason why it's so dangerous and mm. you see the icing up. And so the winter conditions is what makes crabbing kind of the more dangerous. A lot of those guys might crab in the winter and then mm. long line in the summer. Long line goes from spring to fall. Mm. And then salmon is really uh, these tighter seasons because it's it's these smaller boats and it's a, they you only salmon fish when the salmon are spawning so mm. the salmon decide when you go out and go fishing mm. and things like that um and the salmon boats are usually just one or two guys uh, where we fish which is on the copper river mm. uh, the best salmon copper river salmon <laughs> yeah i have a little right. glass jar of canned copper river salmon in my oh. fridge Somebody gave it to me a couple of years ago and I'm just like, oh, I just can't eat it. I have to save it for a very special moment. <laughs> Go ahead and eat it. We eat have it. more. Yeah, you should, <laughs> eat, more. you should eat it, Sarah. Enjoy oh, it. It looks so pretty sitting there. <laughs> I can think about when I received it and stuff. Yeah, probably it's pretty aged by now. Yeah. But they do last. We do we do some of those smoked salmon jars too. We do mostly what we do is frozen seafood. So we kind mm -hmm. of specialize in coming right off the boat and we fish with, we have other fishermen too. My husband knows a lot of fishermen. <laughs> so we all have fishermen that we know and trust. And then we also run a processing facility now um, in Cordova. And so we process the fish ourselves, get it cut and everything. And then primarily what we focus on is the frozen portion. So we're doing a six ounce portion. Um, we wrap in parchment paper, we individually vacuum seal, and we're going direct to the consumer. So that's where um, we kind of stand out because for one thing, we're doing all the steps, which nobody else is doing. Yeah, and you lose really... track of your fish if you don't mm -hmm. cut it yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's what I yeah. heard. Yeah, exactly. So that, that trans, the, um, 
oh man, I'm missing a few words hey, today. You know what What's I want that? to just say? <laughs> I, who cares? So what is cool about what you're doing is this long line fishing, right? Because you're actually gently catching each fish. You're not like mm-hmm. grabbing a bunch of stuff you didn't want. Oh yeah. Long lining is. Can you tell us about like, yeah, because some people drag nets and they just scoop up everything. Right. Right. Draw right. Fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Long lining is um, nicely targeted. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really incredible. Like I used to go on my dad's boat and just watching them set the net and, and I'm going, well, what's the difference between when you're catching black cod and when you're catching halibut, they have individual quotas for each so they can catch only a certain amount of each mm-hmm. species and they go out and they, it's the same gear and the same bait but it's about the depth. And then it's like, well, the halibut like to hang out on these pinnacles. They kind of, they know what the ocean floor looks like. And they're targeting these certain spots where the halibut hang out and then the depth and then the locations where the black cod hang out. And it's incredible how targeted they can be. And they're, they're getting, you know, the halibut and the black cod, they're not scooping up all of the others. They get a little bit of um, a small amount of bycatch, which would be rockfish and ling cod and Pacific cod. And, and they have room on their permits to keep that and sell those in markets too, and Mm. account for it. And so um, they've done a really nice job on sustainability. My dad fish, it was in the eighties when it really switched over from what was considered kind of a derby style, like, okay, here's your window. Everybody go. Mm to this quota system that they can take the pie and go, well, this year the pie, we're going to increase the pie and, and everybody is kind of catching a percentage. And so, okay, your catch increases or, you know, based on what our reports are, we're going to decrease the catch this year. So they can be much more proactive and targeted on the catch. And then, like you said, the, the gear itself is um, limits by catch. Yeah. It probably makes it a little bit easier too when you do it that way because you know some days you could go out and not catch anything but then that's your only like assigned day and so then it kind of yeah. it's harder to predict how well you're going to do if you just have like a bad fishing day you know whereas if you have <laughs> um a certain amount that you can catch I mean you don't get to just go out anytime you want like you have to have these big old permits and stuff to be a fisherman well, on the ocean yeah, yeah. Yeah. It you have to have the permits and um like you're talking about it is safer because yeah. um when my dad fished back when it was okay, here's the opener and they went out even if it was blowing a gale because they're going to make their living. And yeah. so now they uh for long lining they have a much bigger window. It goes from April to October and the fishermen can make those choices. Uh, you know, based on their crew and what they're doing and they can decide when to go in and out. And so it does give a lot more autonomy to the fishermen, which is safer and they can um, sleep at night, which is really important. Something that you've done with your business, which I think is really powerful is that you've connected directly with the consumer. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious, do you also buy fish from other long liners and help aggregate the catch and sell for other people as well? Yeah, we do. Um, when we first started, we started with just our catch and it's that like, you know, a fisherman, I feel like it's kind of like a rancher that is like, we're doing, you know, we're doing our part and all the sustainability, we are getting our fish out. And then, um, we have kind of expanded to other people's fish that we know. And to me, that's, the important part. We know these people, they're using the same sustainable practices. And so now we're able to get their fish out through 
our similar channels through CNC. And it's been really, um, it's been really interesting and very fulfilling, I think, to be able to do this direct to consumer. You know, um, when we sell to wholesale, it's like, well, we need to do this. We have to do this. You don't we don't know to what do, happens to it either. Yeah. We get to do really special stuff. So we do things like we scrape the backbone of, of the of the salmon with a spoon. So every backbone gets a scrape on one side, scrape on the other. And we take that meat, we call it chop. And in Alaska, I saw we call that it on your, meat. On your yeah. And it's really good meat. Put it's it in it's really high quality. You get a whole pound, you know, we sell it by the pound. And that's one thing that other people, they're, they just, you know, like if we had the processing facility only and we said, well, look at this great meat. Oh, I have no market for it. And so with what we're doing, we go, well, let's educate our consumers and um, sell them this amazing meat. And now we we sell that chop and people love it. You make, it's like basically like hamburger, mm. salmon burger that you can make patties and, and all kinds of things with. Yeah, so having that really direct connection to our our customers, I think is really awesome for um, education and things like that. You know what I just thought of? I grew up in Minnesota and my mom's part Swedish and Norwegian, and she would make salmon loaf when I was growing up. I bet it's because she was Norwegian. It was something that they always probably had eaten. I never thought about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've had people talk about salmon loaf and I'm like, I like my salmon like as salmon. (laughs) <laughs> right but in minnesota mom she would open a can of like whole salmon with the bones everything yeah. mush it up make it into a loaf and we'd be like this is dinner and she's like oh it's so good oh. <laughs> i wanted to ask you about sustainability you mentioned sustainability is important to your um, family business can you tell us a little bit about what your beliefs are and what sustainability means to you yeah that's a big broad term. I think that for one thing, I mean, I mean, starting out just fishermen in general, sometimes commercial fishermen, the term gets kind of very lumped together. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's really big boats out there and things like that. There's international fishing that is not done correctly, you know, illegal fishing. But when you're talking about what, what we do, which is fishing, we fish in Alaska, Alaska fishing is done with small families like we are. So in our community of fishermen, it makes perfect sense that fishermen are very sustainably minded because they want to, they've probably fished for generations and they want the fish to be there and they want to come back and fish with their kids. And so that mindset is is very much like, of course. And I, I just think that sometimes people, it, you know, it gets kind of whitewashed that, um, on that difference that there's a lot of family fishing operations that of course, you know, sustainability is about catching always with a mind for future stocks so that there's always returning fish. Um, So that's the first layer. I think that kind of the most obvious layer, first of all, we have to um, have a mind towards future stocks and always thinking about the conservation and the rivers you know, that's Alaska is fantastic because those rivers are really pristine. We work with um, Copper River Watershed Project and they they help with uh, restoration with the waterways. And so, you know, things like taking out the culverts that were in the road and tr- putting in gigantic culverts, those things aren't exciting, but they make a really huge difference. And so um, 
all the way to we ship to people's doors. So we, from the very beginning, we don't use um, styrofoam. We use a sustainable foam that you can actually eat. It doesn't taste very good. I know because <laughs> I told my I, I told my kids you could eat it, so they're like, "Oh, <laughs> they love to just walk by and take I've bites." Tasted and I'm like, it too. <laughs> I taste everything. <laughs> I told I know, them, you know, if I told hey. my daughter that, she would do the same. She would be right. like, "Oh, I'm going right. to try it." <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I need well, some butter and salt gonna, on this. <laughs> does need butter and salt. <laughs> and I'm like, that was a whole box. Now you just took a bite out of it. Now <laughs> you got to eat the whole thing. <laughs> right. Well, That's we need funny. to take a quick break. And when we come back, I really want to talk about your beautiful recipe writing that you have on the site. So we'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, Sina, tell us about your favorite dish that you have on the website that you'd recommend for first-time seafood prep. Oh, wow. Um, I just came out, I think my latest recipe on there, I, I just, I write what I cook. And so a lot of them, I... I brought down the Copper River King in sockeye. I went up to the up to Alaska, flew it down, brought it home fresh. Um, and it then it's like, okay, well, what are you gonna do with that? And I did a crispy skin recipe, uh, mostly because I was really tired. I had brought it down and then shipped all day. <laughs> and I made this crispy skin recipe, and it was so simple, you know, salt, pepper olive oil in the pan. And it was so fantastic. I, I could not get enough. I ate it like all week like that. And so I wrote up that recipe and everybody loves crispy skin, but it, you know, it's not that hard. It's just, it's a matter of getting it really dry to get that crispy skin. So that's a really fun one, but I do a lot of grilling as well. Well, I think um, your website is wonderful. When I looked through all of the recipes, all I wanted to eat was fish for dinner. <laughs> so um, uh, some some of the ones just right away, when you look at it, you have um, Copper River King Wellington. You have olive oil poached stable fish with couscous and saffron broth. Like all of them are, they seem simple for people to do at home and easy, but they also have just a little bit of a little twist of like elegance or something fun. So I think Some you flair. Yeah, you do a really nice job. Um, are you a trained recipe writer? Or I think, I think maybe I saw you are a nutrition expert or something. Tell us about it. <laughs> Well, my undergraduate degree is nutrition and I have a master's in food science. And actually, um, I went to Oregon State University Whoa. and um, I studied. Yeah, go Beebs. I know I saw the connection because you're with the Food Innovation Center. Yes. And I feel like I was there uh, right when that was just getting off the ground. Oh. I, was, I was there in early 2000s mm. and um, I was in the seafood, I mean, fisheries. So my, mm -hmm. I really wanted to go into food science and I didn't think I would do a job in fish. I just like everything I'd ever done was fish. And there was a advisor that there was basically a spot and he was like, oh yeah, I'm, I do fisheries. I'm looking for somebody who's comfortable on the boat. And I was like, 
Oh yeah, that's easy. I've been on the boat with my dad, you know, all the summers. And so I ended up doing that. Um, and then I was at this, the brand new seafood lab in Astoria at the time. Um, but yeah, when I saw that seafood innovation center, I was like, Oh, that is so cool. Because I remember that kind of just getting off the ground and thinking that is so neat. Um, but I actually went after that. I did what I call was my original dream job. I worked in, um, R&D, research and development for a, a food company. And oh. they were, um, it was for Continental Mills. They do uh, baked goods, uh, yeah. mixes, you know, boxes of mm-hmm. cakes and cookies and all kinds Pancake of things. Pancake mix. Pancake mix. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I was in the, um, you know, the R&D lab. And nice. so I worked with, I I worked in the R&D lab that I just loved that environment I love like food as science, you know, really just kind of digging into that. And then I did a lot of work around kind of bringing things to um, to market. So if it's going to be produced at the plant, going and making sure that what comes off the lines is what it's supposed to be. Um, so that's just a little bit of my food science background. And, and I didn't think I would circle back around to fish. Um, I ended up staying home with my kids and I was doing that for a few years. And then, um, well, I don't know. We probably don't have a time for the whole story, but <laughs> I ended up back here. <laughs> well, what exactly are you doing for your company, your family's company? You're not on the boat every day, right? Right. I'm not on the boat. So my husband's in Alaska and um, I do basically everything else. So I manage the website and we have some products that we put out and things like that. But a lot of what I do is the website. I write emails every week to our people, which is a great place. If you do go to our website, jump on our email list. I'm communicating with people and doing the recipes and the marketing and, and really just talking about fish all day, every day, which works out actually it's great i love it i never i never thought i would but um here i am <laughs> i do have a black cod um question for you everyone yeah. thinks that the only way to cook black cod is with teriyaki sauce maybe and miso or something mm. i see that you have a lot of different recipes here why do people always think they can only cook black cod one way yeah the miso black cod is really yeah. famous um and we actually put a miso glaze in a, in a bag and we have it frozen. So you defrost and it's already glazed, which is really oh. cool. We're out, sold out of that right now. But um, so that's pretty cool. But the miso black cod is, is probably one of the most is the famous black cod recipe. Black cod is special. It is different. So that's the one fish that I tell people don't look up any cod recipe, all the other white fish, if it's ling cod or if it's rock fish, it's no big deal do any white fish kind of cod recipe, but black cod is so, um, so high in omega threes. It's really rich. It's really silky and it's different. It's you cook it longer. It doesn't overcook. So, um, we cook it. I, I grew up eating it and we cooked it with soy sauce and, uh, fresh ginger, a little bit of garlic, really simple. I love cooking it. It's really easy to cook because it stays moist and doesn't overcook, but, but it is one that I, you're right. It can get pigeonholed, but I also, but I do say, look up something that's for black cod. Yeah. I, I think sometimes too, that's just sort of people's entryway into it. Like maybe they yeah. have it, you see it on a lot of restaurant menus like that, you know? And so maybe that's the only way that they've ever had it, but then um, 
you know, you, you have all kinds of ways to teach people how to cook it at home in different ways. Yeah. I want to ask you, okay, I'm changing the subject. How did you meet your husband? <laughs> um, we grew up on the same small island in the Puget Sound. <laughs> oh, okay. I always wonder about that. So he already was a fisherman and then he was working on your family boat? Um, no, we we grew up together. And so we were we were together, you know, like high school, college age. And then he kind of had always had this idea he might fish. And we're in the Pacific Northwest where a lot of people yeah, yeah. do fish. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a secret ambition. So he went out on a salmon oh, boat, nice. not with my dad. He wanted to try it out and make sure. <laughs> and then my dad said to him, uh, oh, you want to fish? Like, um, excuse there me, why go. don't you talk to me? <laughs> so we <he> did. <laughs> That's great. It's always nice when you can work with your family members and husband, wife teams is great. Yeah, it, it works out. And it's, I mean, when we took over, my dad retired shortly thereafter and we got involved, you know, um, with the whole family business. I remember my dad calling and saying, are you sure this is what you want? <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like very sweet. yeah I I do and I know what I'm getting into whereas a lot of other fishing wives might not because mm -hmm. you lived that your whole I life lived it yeah. yeah um well I just want people uh to know the best way to get something from you so um you really mm. just sell direct to customer right so they would go on your website and do they just order one time or do they have do you have certain ways that they can um join a club or something like that what what's that look like for your biz um what i like people do is jump on our website and get on our email list because um that's where i'm really connecting with people and i love to help people out i get that fish is a little bit um scary for people and fish through the mail is like whoa <laughs> <laughs> but jump on, get on our email list and I'll be telling you what's happening. And then you can go ahead and get a box. We have a few, like we have a sampler box where you can try a few different types of fish. Mm -hmm. And then we have the subscription. I, I don't push people like, oh, you have to get on the subscription. But once you're ordering and you're loving it, it just makes it easier. My parents are on a subscription. They don't have to go on the website every month. It The box just shows up. Mm -hmm. So we keep it really flexible. If you're, if you want to switch your fish or switch the frequency, you know, whatever. I just want it to be easy because people will eat more fish if it's in their freezer and at home and easy to go. You know, to me, that's, it's, it's uh, it's just more healthy and it's right there. So if you want to try a subscription, we give you a discount and just keep in mind that I'm always right there and you can email me and make any changes. That's great. And I think sometimes you said that, um, you know, sometimes people are apprehensive or, or aren't used to getting fish in the mail, but really you're, you're processing it right off the boat and you're freezing it, which really is, um, you know, when people go to the grocery store and they buy fish, a lot of times you're buying fish that has been frozen. I mean, almost yeah. all, all the time. And yeah. so this is actually much better because, because it's not thawing, you know, first yeah. in the grocery store and then you're buying it, you're, you're getting it and then you can have it whenever you want. Cause it's, it comes to you frozen. And I, I think, totally um, agree. I'm not sure why people have that thought that it's better to buy it in a grocery store, but it's like, it's really, it's not. <laughs> you're doing I know, thing. you know, it, I find, I mean, people have this like fresh is better, fresh is better. And, it's, mm -hmm. and I say to, Yes, it is. If you live by the ocean, yeah, 
and you are by boats, then fresh is better. But if you don't, if you can't see the boat, then um, being frozen up in Alaska is actually better. The clock stops Mm -hmm. right then. When I go to grocery stores and I see what's being slacked out, I know where it came from. I know that it was frozen and then it's sitting in the case and I wouldn't leave my fish sitting in the fridge. The as soon as you defrost it, the clock starts ticking again on time and temperature and so you're losing quality in the during that process and so and then you're on their clock. It's like, "Oh, now I have to eat this fish tomorrow." Yeah. You know, I'd rather have it in my freezer and take it out whenever I feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. I think we need to um kind of have that conversation with people because I think they don't know it. (laughs) So just really quickly. So if I order a box of frozen fish, I just put it in my freezer Mm -hmm. and then I decide I want to eat fish. Do I take it out the day before and put it in my refrigerator? So some people take it out the day before, which is fine. If it's going to be more than one day, you should cut the seal because it's vacuum sealed. Okay. If you take it out overnight, that works with some people's rhythm. Um, I actually pull mine out 45 minutes before I'm going to cook. Like I'm starting the rice and I put it in a bowl of cold water, not warm package inside the package. And because they're individually packaged, they defrost very quickly. And I just feel like any time in the fridge is, is degrading that quality a little bit. Okay. So you can just take it out of the freezer, put each piece in its own or some kind of big bowl with cold water. Mm-hmm. And in a, in what, 15, 20 minutes, it'll be ready to cook. Yeah. Like 30, probably 30 minutes. It 30 just minutes. depends on okay. how many, cause I'm always overstuffing the bowl, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And to me, that's as fast as it takes for me. You know, that's the first step I do. And then I get my rice cooking or whatever, cut my veggies and it's ready to go. Okay. Okay. Good. Good to know. So all you people over there in Minnesota, you can order some of this yeah. fish and make it make your <laughs> make your salmon loaf from fresh salmon. Not yeah, order our chop if you're gonna make salmon loaf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, unfortunately, we are almost out of time. So I just like to ask um, our guests what they need from their community. So what do you need from our listeners and people that um, are? listen to the show and are around you, what do you need? Oh, I really love that question. That's wonderful. Um, What I love is when people interact, we got our start at the farmer's market um, and interacting with customers. I mean, that's really how we know mostly what people want is, you know, the question they always asked was, well, how do you cook the fish? So that's, so now we have a downloadable recipe. The first thing you get is how we cook the fish, mm-hmm. but I would say we, we just need feedback and um, communication because we love to hear people's number one questions or fears about fish. You know, I know cooking the fish is a big deal for people, but let us know so that we can answer all those questions and, and just make it easy for you. Well, I think your website does that too. I think I want to encourage people to go and look at your recipes because I think they're very approachable. I think they're very easy. Fish is sometimes overwhelming for people to cook, but I think you have lots of options for them with lots of different kinds of fish. So I think that um, you're doing a great job teaching people how to eat the things that you catch. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yes. 
Well, we want to uh, thank you for coming on the show today. It was so great to chat with you and we will do our best to connect people to you and your family business. And we just appreciate the effort you're making to sustainable fishing and carrying on your family traditions and business. I think it's really wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can send us a DM on Instagram at Missoni and Marshall. And we will be back next week, everybody. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye for now. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.